Welcome to Shop of Symposium. We're your hosts. I'm Doug Daffin. I am Chris Bendeman. And here for the hat trick. It's Zach, baby. I'm back. <laughs> All right. We're, uh, we're coming back at you with this <clears throat> third and final season of Shop of Symposium before we graduate law school and go our separate ways. Yeah, knock on wood for that one. Yeah, I mean, I have, what, 11 credits? I might not pass any of them, so we'll see. They can still fail us. They can still expel us. Did you know that they have to get like a written like thing to fail us this semester? <laughs> like they literally do everything in their power to get Yo, us. Yo, how excited are y'all to put the G on? Oh, on the exam stuff. The exam. Oh, super excited! I'm gonna write the biggest G after my exam number. Like it's just gonna be like number, 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 number. G. Are you going to take a written exam in order to put a huge G on your sheet of paper? Is that I have two doing? written exams this semester, oh, so yes. All right. <laughs> anyway. All right, so our topic for this evening, I'm entitling it uh, The Jester, and I'm going to be talking about comedy and politics. Yeah, dude, Jester is one of my favorite eateries on campus. <laughs> I, that was a really fake laugh. Holy shit. Um, all right, so... Uh, here's to Chris with the drinks and also Zach with his drink. Yeah. I mean, both of these, both of these drinks. So we have, <laughs> what are we doing? We have two drink groups tonight. <laughs> two drink um, groups. Yes. Zach, please tell me about this, this solid gold in my hands here. Uh, all right. Well, um, in honor of the hat trick, I just wanted to bring something that represented, uh, my relationship with the podcast and with you guys. So I brought a, uh, solid whiskey by, uh, it's called Virginia Black. It's mm. uh, actually uh, sponsored by uh, his uh, Canadian Highness, Drake. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've been sipping on it recently, and it's a uh, pretty good pretty good concoction they made over there in I've, uh, Virginia. I've been recently sipping on it since like an hour ago, I would say, and I agree with all the above. Um, <clears throat> for my drink, I... Uh, Zach and I talked about this, and we're in agreement that we're downright angry about the temperature in Austin tonight and today because it's just kind of been windless, hot, uncomfortable, Gross. stuffy, and of course, this is the dead of the Texan winter. So because we're mad about it, I decided to bring a absolutely summer-ass summer drink, which is Deep Eddie Cran- <coughs> excuse me, Deep Eddie Cranberry. And whatever amount of club soda you want to put in your deep Eddie Cranberry. So that's what we got. I mean, the answer might be zero. Like, that's an option that is left up to you. Let me tell you all a really brief story. Some people have Margaritaville up, but I'm all about Cape Cod. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Right? That's legit. (laughs) That's, That's correct. That joke was correct. So, once upon a time... I just recently turned 21. I was in a liquor store in my hometown, which is a very was a very new experience for me at the time. And I was all excited because it was a party in that liquor store. You couldn't walk down a, an aisle without somebody hanging out at some end of the aisle being like, dude, come over here. Take a shot of this with me. You'll love it. Oh, wait. Take this other shot that I have. And I'm cruising through the vodka section just looking around, planning a party. And this, like, this fully grown woman is, like, there. She's like, have you tried Deep Eddie Cranberry? You I'm really sure there aren't any non-fully grown women in a liquor store. Well, I mean, I don't consider myself fully grown to a certain point. So, <laughs> in any event. I was just excited about the experience of an adult advising me on 
how to drink. That was exciting to me at the time. I don't know how else to describe it. But I like it. And that's what we're doing. What are we talking about? Um, so drinking games, real yeah. quick. Uh, something we failed to plan for. But we ne- we really never do anymore, so, yeah. I mean. So, <laughs> yeah, we just come up with All them right, on this, the spot. Uh, this just kind of just Zach, uh, tailed out a little bit. Zach, give us a game. Alright, Well, so, wait, we don't even understand what the topic yeah, is. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta give right, me more fair, background on the topic. Fair, we did fair. our homework, but the audience doesn't yeah, know. Yeah, so, um, audience, I gave Zach a bit of homework before he came here, and I told him to watch... A clip on YouTube of um, Jon Stewart on Crossfire in like 2004, uh, right before the election, presidential election. Just assume that I had watched it, I guess. Yeah, and I kind of assumed Chris had watched it. Which was true. Yeah, that's because I know Chris fairly well. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're close. And uh, and in the clip, uh, you have you have Jon Stewart, and he. Go, he talks about um, how bad Crossfire is for America. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. But uh, the host criticized him for sort of trying to have his cake and eat it too. In the sense that he's trying to make political points and then if he's ever attacked, um, hide behind a comedic shield. I see where this is going. And I'd like to talk about the comedic shield. Okay. So cool. The comedic that being, shield. That being the topic. Sure. Um, drinking games. Oh God! I just thought of so one that would be malicious. One is any time one of us laughs so oh, hard no. that the conversation gets derailed. That's going to be my rule. That was literally the rule that I thought of, and then categorized as being so malicious that it's unplayable. That's why I said it. Okay. Okay. Also, I'm Zach, real quick, it, could you grab that gavel? Where's it? It's on the, it's on the top, top shelf. So <laughs> I decided for this season we needed an audio cue uh, for when we take a drink, and we have. That's probably really loud. That's probably super loud. We can lightly tap it. That's much better. Yeah. Hey, clever idea! You've got a gavel. Yeah. I mean, we're like law students or something. <laughs> All right, so that's my rule. That was cute. We finished each other's sentences for a second there. We've been at this too long. All right, that's my rule. Um, do we really need any other rules? I mean, usually we just end up drinking anyway. That's so true. I think uh, I'm really interested in this topic, so I want to get into it a little bit. So. Yeah, well, we should probably start. All right, so the reason I'm titling this episode The Jester, and the reason I know the title to this episode um, before I edit it, which usually never happens, there's two reasons. Number one... Uh, Zach Daniel always gets the best sounding titles for his episodes. Um, Boom. Yeah. Number two is because uh, the the concept of a political comedian um, goes back really hard. So, really far. <laughs> so, we have this, uh, we have this sort of scene of an idyllic, like, Middle Ages court, um... Uh, not judicial court, but like the king's court, and it's it's got a throne room, and it's got the king and the queen and princes and princesses and advisors and whatnot. But it also has a jester in it. Yeah, and the thing about that jester is that, well, I mean, I, I think we all understand the role of the jester was 
to poke fun at the at everybody and everything. Nothing was sacred, and he would come through and just poke at all of the little little the little nitpicky things that expose people's vulnerabilities. And the most interesting thing about the jester is that no matter who get, no matter who he pissed off, the head of the court, the king or the queen or the emperor or the noble or whatever, always supported the jester one hundred percent. Even if he sometimes made fun of the king, the king would in fact laugh it off and be like, "Oh, it's just my jester." Right, and the and the i you know the ideal king um, would do that and. It'd be, you know, sh- it'd show off his humility in that he can laugh at himself sometimes. Sure. Because that's a noble thing, as long as it doesn't happen too much. On the other hand, when you look at um, depictions of evil kings in the same time period, like in fantasy or something, let's say... Um, right, Joffrey. because none exists in the real world, yeah, so you have say, to make one Let's say one Joffrey up. from Game of Thrones. Sure. Hey, look, we're talking about Game of Thrones on this podcast. Oh, we should probably title this uh, Game of Thrones again. That'll increase our, our listenership like last time. Yeah. Um, Joffrey, there's there's a moment where um, he, when he's king, uh, there's a, a musician, comedian dude who like, it's been a while since I saw this episode, uh, who like made, had a song that made fun of him. And he like cut the dude's tongue out, or, or ordered the dude's tongue cut out. I don't even remember this, or something like that. I believe you. Yeah, I mean, sounds on brand. Yeah, yeah, it sounds on brand. And the point is, like, going after the jester is—it's not just accepting the jester is sort of a sign of a good king, but going after the jester and you know not accepting the jester is a sign of a bad king. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So, so <laughs> moving, yeah, moving, Where we're going right. With this. So <laughs> moving, moving from that, we're now in uh, 2018, and our oh, jester God. is the king. Well, listen, no, 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 no. I'm not going to hand you that one because <laughs> all of the virtues Fair. that you've described the jester having, none of them are held by the. Well, the I never described the jester as having any. Uh, any virtues. You were the one who described what the jester did, which is make fun of anyone and everyone. Well, I think that... And you... if you've ever uh, visited a certain someone's Twitter account... Okay, well, th- that is one way of looking at it, but I think being a jester is about more than just pointing out flaws and vulnerabilities, but doing so... Because the idea of the jester, or why it was ever noble to support the jester, is the idea that criticism in a certain sense can be not just lighthearted, but it's also constructive because it 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 makes people vulnerable to being criticized and it forces them into a point where they have to decide how they're going to respond. And the noble people respond in a lighthearted way. They say, "Ah, oh, yes, I accept the criticism and I I, you know, that doesn't dig at my my personal sense of worth." And then the evil characters, they lash out, right? So that seems to suggest that what the jester is doing is constructive or valuable. Otherwise, why would it be noble to support them and invest in their in their performance? There is nothing valuable coming from the president's Twitter page, in my opinion. Fair. Um, so then, building off of what you said, um, I, I've said earlier that jesters sort of have a comedic shield. That is, um, a good king doesn't try to execute the jester, whereas they might execute someone who wasn't the jester who was insulting them. Oh, you certainly don't have to convince me. Yeah. Yeah. 
so what like what gives you know why do we why do we allow this comedic shield well what makes the gesture so special before we talk about the the comedic shield from that perspective i think it, it would it would be helpful to ground this in the modern age because there is a very real comedic shield in the modern yeah age. and I'm, I'm done talking about that fake court the oh, no. court no, no problem. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that obviously you use the example, which is like the, the classic example these days, because it is a very common criticism of Mr. Stewart that every time he would go out of his way to criticize, he would be making very personal statements about the conduct of other pundits or individuals. He would categorize what they're doing as being wrong or dangerous or harmful or something. Which and when, is pretty much what the whole crossfire thing was. Absolutely. Was like, and then if ever you turned around and said, well, Mr. Stewart, you're not really one to talk because you make a lot of the same mistakes, he would put his hands in the air and be like, yeah, but I'm a comedian. I don't do news. Yeah, the show that goes on before me is Puppets. But yeah. the, Making prank phone calls. Absolutely. I think that's the actual that's quote. The actual quote. And, but the idea is he made himself so important to so many people he made himself – I was one of these people. He made himself the primary source of what I considered at the time least biased news on television. And once you've done that, I think there's a very legitimate place for people to say, you need to be held accountable for that. But he never accepted accountability for that, and he still hasn't. I believe that in today's society, like, there's a lot of combining in terms of we get our news – and we get a lot of discourse from things that were very unconventional back in the day. So, like, using the Daily, like, saying you use the Daily Show as a main source of news. Like, people using Twitter as a sort of just a proxy for, I don't know, like, just regular news sources like CNN and things like that nature. So, we've come to this point where, at least in the comedic world, there needs to be a bit of... Well, for me, the comedic shield has kind of gone down and it's more of just a situation where you have to understand what they're saying. Take what they're saying with a grave of salt, but they also have to understand the gravitas of what they're saying. Yeah. It needs to be like a good balance. And I don't think we're at a point, especially like under this presidency and under how and how he reacts, reacts to everything. It makes it very uncomfortable for these comedians to like go after him and not be comedians about it. I don't know. It's weird. No, I think you're making a really interesting point, actually, because I think if there's any reason why the shield might have come down a little bit, it's because in a climate when most of the political figures are seen as being very immoral or very incompetent or very bad people, which is a very common viewpoint these days, you can basically be just on par decent human being and hold yourself up as a paragon of morals and ethics. Exactly. So if you're t- like if you were John Stewart today, I think you would have no problem standing up and saying, "Yes, I know what I'm doing. I work hard on it, and I believe in what I do." And when you compare that to the people they're often criticizing, they're going to win almost every single one of those comparisons. It's just a weird environment we live in because the social climate makes this topic very it's so much different than it was in the crossfire days for example if we're just going to bring it back to the example absolutely like when you have someone who is directly interacting on a daily basis and that's just due to his 
be his Twitter and like him him having access to his Twitter. And he's very like these people, like the people who are like John the John Stewart's of the world and the uh Trevor Noah's, they have to in some respects interact directly with uh with tre- with the president of the United States. And that changes discourse in a sense. Well, let's let's talk about this because there's a big difference between the sort of ideal court um setting that we set up and uh modern days. So the jester in the idyllic court is hired by the king and or by one of his advisors or you know the king probably has someone who hires the jester for him. But it's like high you know he gets paid from the king's pocket. Um and that sort of moved to, let's say, the John Stewart crossfire days, because we, we sort of have these three periods, where, like, Comedy Central um, paid for John Stewart, so he's not being paid by uh, the king, he's, he's not in the king's pocket, but he's still being paid by a curator of sorts, um, because Comedy Central curates what they put on air since they only have 24 hours a day uh, of time slots that they could fill and naturally if they want you know good quality material they they have to curate it um and now you're in the social media days and i think we sort of crowdsource our jesterhood through memes um okay like we still have the john stewart's although it's now what trevor noah yeah yeah but like there's there's this uh facebook and Reddit and all these other platforms um, have sort of enabled like memes well um, in the in a different way than they've ever been. We would have to be a, a lot more descriptive because I think that the application of memes is is obviously it's its own topic, but yes. it's much more an animal of the generation and spreading of continuously evolving inside jokes which can serve as a platform for what you're describing, but I think it's not really as narrowly related as, as, I, as I feel like it's being made out to be. I think more that what you're describing is Facebook and Reddit allow for really off-the-cuff, like, reactionary, and that's wrong to say, not reactionary from a political standpoint, but reactionary from the standpoint of this is a first take kind of thing. And these hot takes can turn into very quickly, widely distributed treatises on what's going on. I think that's really the valuable bit of what you're probably getting at. Well, no, it's not, actually. Okay. It's um, drinking game from... I think Is that like a standardized drinking game is every time we disagree? Like, that's always been... Well, actually, what this goes back to is the very first episode where you noted that the whole idea of the symposium is that when a person goes to take a drink, they naturally are doing so because they are not talking and another person is. So in that situation, it was literally, all right, what I've just said has been exposed to be not of value. So I'll let you say the thing of value and I'll take a drink. (laughs) (laughs) And he can't speak too long because you get thirsty. Um, I I question the legitimacy of of that argument. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think these people were drinking to excess because they felt thirsty. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. So so what I think about 
the memes because I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just uh, other than that you're wrong about me being wrong because I think we're both right. I think you raise a separate point um, about reactionism. Uh, but there are plenty of um, there. There are memes of every kind and flavor. You know, it's uh, every kind and flavor. Yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, and there are plenty. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I knew that I would be the primary one. Oh, boy. Anyway. Can I have some of this club soda as well? Go for it, dude. Yeah. Let me Let it be handed off. Thank you. We're going to put this back here. I I want you guys to picture, like, we have a very interesting setup here because all the equipment is sitting basically on one table, and then there's a table on that table, and on top of that table... Is where our bar is. Yo, I heard you, yo, dog. I heard you like tables, so I put a table on your table so you can table while you table. Oh shit, son. Oh speaking shit, of memes, son. Um, where can I? Okay, yeah. Yeah, sorry. speaking of memes, that was, just, <laughs> that was a really uh, consequential transition. But I actually need you to explain to yeah, me so, how memes can do. Right, so what there, you're there are meme, there are all sorts of memes, including political memes. Um, my point is that, like, any sort of political joke is a jester joke. Um, and, like, it, if, any, any political joke directed towards the public, so pardon. If you're willing to agree with me on the, re- okay, I'm willing to go with you to a reductionary view of the jester, of the value of a jester, or the work of a jester is simply to expose vulnerabilities and point out flaws about political figures. Then yes, I'll agree with you that any political joke is a jester joke. Well, any sorry, pardon, any political joke directed to the public at large is a jester joke. I don't even think it needs the qualification, but I'll yeah, accept the qualification. Well, because I I want to change that. Like, let's say, um, let's go back to the court, ideal court. Um, you have the jester, and he's saying this to the entire audience of the court. Um, but the entire, entire audience, audience of the joke. Like, he's, he's directing it at the public. Um, but the, and the other, on the other hand, you might have people joking about the king's impotence behind closed doors, and that joke's never meant to make it out to the public. Well, well, no, well, okay. And it's, it doesn't become sort of criticism. Or it could even be criticism, but it's like... These people don't have the shield, so they they can't go public with their jokes. Okay, but two things though, because a the audience of the court would never include the public. It's just it realistically it just isn't Fair. the case. And second, what you're qualifying in your second example is not really that it's not directed for the public, but rather it's not directed for the ears of the person whom it criticizes. Which and I if, think in it, today's society, it is right. So I think that. If that's the qualification, I, I would be willing to go with you to a any political joke is a jester joke to the extent that it is intended to at least exist in the same space as the thing or person it criticizes. Okay. Maybe not going to reach their ears, but certainly... I'll accept that. Got it. Yeah. Um, so because of that, I think we have the crowdsourcing of the jester hood. Right, but yeah, I, I, I'm trying to understand what, like, what kind of memes are we talking about? Because my my understanding of memes is that they usually 
contain very very quick in and out kind of humor. Yeah. They can be very complex in their like. Obviously, we've all seen well, like copy pasta let's stuff. Say, let's say there was one I'm remembering about DACA um, that I saw on Facebook, I think, and it was um, that uh, countries send their people over here. Um, Dream Act passes. They get their education. Uh, they don't forget from whence they came, and then they go, and then DACA expires, and they they already got all their public education expenses by America, and then we deport all of them, and that country is now winning at fourth dimensional checkers because they didn't have to pay for the education and raising expenses, but now they get to reap the benefits of adults. What is educated adults? What was the delivery vehicle of that statement? The, um, it might have been a green text. Okay. I don't know. It was a while ago. Okay. And like I didn't I didn't explain it like as a joke, but like that's the No, no, no. Honestly, yeah. like for me, I get that. Actually, like, I, I now yeah. understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's a political For the benefit joke. of our audience, green text is a kind of meme. It is essentially right, always you have to explain it to the normies. It's essentially always a 4chan screen grab. Yes, thank you for for predicting 4chan. that one. Now, the way that you there is a way – there's an image – there is a, a macro, I guess is what it's called, where you put in a character and it changes the entire script of your text. If you put in a arrow or one of the little arrow keys type typographic things on your keyboard – I'm really bad at explaining what that is uh, – facing towards the words you're about to write at the beginning of the sentence – yeah, a greater it will turn, than sign. It'll turn. Yeah, thank you. A greater than sign before every line. <laughs> pause. It will pause. Make... Pause. How? <laughs> How did you just forget the greater than right, sign? Right, he didn't remember which which direction the fish was pointing. I uh, just, it's like the easiest thing. But anyway, I continue, just think of continue, it as arrows instead of a greater than. But you're right. That's the point of the the symbol. Anyway, it will turn your text green. And the way that people use this is in order to... I mean, that would to... be like calling an a, a hashtag a pound sign, though. I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So this little greater than sign at the beginning of any line of text will turn the entire line of text green. People use this in order to share narratives. When you have a long string of green lines of text, it is meant to signify that you are telling a story or a narrative. People use this to tell funny, ridiculous fictional stories that are meant to criticize the fictional character in the text or to criticize other characters in the story of the text. For example, I imagine this would be like the whole LOL story of like show up in America, get in illegally, benefit from public works, benefit from public education, get kicked out to take all my education and expertise back to my homeland. Well, it was from the point of the homeland, or from the point of view of the homeland, oh. which is send people over here, they get their education, they get deported, now we have... More educated yeah, people. Yeah, now we have more educated people that we didn't have to pay for, who's winning a fourth dimensional, uh, yeah. And it, and it oh, probably, yeah. and it probably yeah, ended it in like, it, it, those stories <laughs> usually end in some variant of fucking lol or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah our Loch Ness Monster demanding 350. Tree fitty. Pardon. We're talking about memes, so you gotta get yeah. your shit right. Yeah, yeah, you ain't getting your meme jargon right. You gotta right. just stop this right now. You gotta gotta relearn your memes. 
So anyway, I, I now see what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, so there are memes that are gestured yeah. jokes. That's the only kind that I can think of being able to communicate the, the kind of complexity of message that you're describing. But I absolutely agree with you that they are capable of doing that. Right. And then I don't know where I was originally going with this before Chris demanded that I um, prove myself. But you, you start with... Um, you start with a gesture that's paid for by the person they're criticizing mm -hmm. to a gesture that's um, still an artisan but is employed and is employed by a curator um, to sort of gestures um, or gesturisms. And I'm just making up words now. That's fine. But uh, gesturisms that appear out of you know, upvotes and mean viral spread. Yes. And I'm wondering if um, you or Zach would like to have any sort of sophisticated uh, thoughts on what that might mean for the quality of these gesturisms. I know Zach has something to say on the subject. I really don't. Go ahead. <clears throat> Not yet. I'm I'm building a very very complex argument right now. Zach's Continue. building a case over there. I'm yeah. going to let him do it absolutely. So let me just fill airtime. I mean, the 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 notion of this development. All we do on this show is fill airtime, bro. All I do in my life, <laughs> it's life is, is fill life airtime. is just filling airtime, airtime, air and then we die. Exactly. There you we, go. Yeah. We we just found a really good way to fill airtime by going to law school. That's all there is. That's all really there all this is. is now. Okay, so, so charting the course of what our expectations are of criticism, fair. I think it might suggest – it suggests a lot of things, and some of those things I'm not going to go into because I've already arrived at what my final thoughts are going to be on this subject. But let's talk about some other types of things. Things like what does it say about the social conceptions that we hold when we realize that our expectation – of the treatment of jester type individuals has moved in where we think it should be supported directly. Obviously we can all be like, Oh yeah, we support the right of people to make criticism, blah, 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 blah. But we've also kind of implicitly said that being said, we certainly don't expect the very people being criticized to financially support that endeavor, to prop up that endeavor and to make sure that endeavor has a forum in which it will be heard or seen or viewed. So It's funny to me that we don't expect it, though, when the classic idea is that they do. Fair. Um, and that's kind of what I'm saying, is, is something has happened here. Yeah. Because if ever people generally thought, well, certainly the king should have a jester, uh, at, at the least... And now we basically think, well, why would you ever, as an institution, whether an institution of government or anything else, why would you ever pay to have people criticize you? I mean, who wants that? And additionally, um, if you pay for someone to criticize you, like, where's the artistic integrity of the person who's criticizing you? Because they obviously want to keep their job. That's fair. There's also sort of a, a weird kind of... I mean, from that perspective, it actually might be that people more think that you shouldn't be paying the people who criticize you because they're not going to give you the full bore on it. Exactly. Yeah, I they're mean, just like, going to give you fake jokes. 
Like, if we're really, like, delving into the original, um, like, Joker and, like, the whole, like, meat, like, thing that we were, framework that we were going with earlier, by virtue of the jester being paid by the king and also his life, depending on whether he made the king laugh, he knew which buttons to press. He knew what to say, what not to say. Things of that nature so that he could, one, keep his job, two, keep his life, and three, have a little fun with it. I I am absolutely certain that the best way to curry favor with your host would be to wait until the most disliked noble or vassal of the realm swung by and to viciously, like... Eviscerate him. Just right off the bat and continuously. And when the king is just in uproar... You know that you've got your your title real real well and and secured, and that's kind of the issue that like if you bring it back to today, right? Since obviously in our system of government we have a free freedom of speech thing, and we really just don't really combine the two in terms of we don't pay our comedians from the federal government. There isn't. Really, any do pl- we never pay comedians well, from the federal we, government? We, we, we do. There are there is funding for the arts. I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah. Okay. Saying never was more of just a general like I. Yeah. We are we not. We're not paying. Yeah, Donald mainstream. Trump doesn't employ jesters. Exactly. Yeah, he doesn't. Not, he he doesn't, doesn't directly employ yeah, jesters. He doesn't have a cabinet member whose job is to make fart jokes. Exactly. So we depend on that if we are. If I'm following what we had correctly, we are the court, right? The American people or the world at large is the court. Well, it is it is the forum for the discourse now. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're talking about, right? And the new forum for the discourse is all of us. And I think that Doug rightly points to the forum in which so many of us youngsters engage, which is the forum of memes, Reddit. Facebook, social media, and other places where we can post stupid image macros that we chuckle about. Which has become, of course, a a vehicle for delivering political commentary. So do you think the, the, maybe not quality, but substance, that's the word. Do you think the substance of the jokes change um, from someone who, say, employed by the court to jokes that rise up? One thousand percent. Absolutely. One thousand. How do you think they change? I think that we're being very generous when we describe jesters as as having the general trait of making intelligent commentary about political decision making by their hosts and other people in the court. Exactly. I'm sure at a great deal of the time it was more likely to be look at the size of this man's nose or this man's wife has just no sense of fashion and neither does he while we're on the subject to make particularized comments about the choices that people make and not just choices like getting dressed but the choices that matter that have impact from one perspective if we're looking at nobility on their own legacy and success from our perspective and a more democratic sensibility on the lives of others i think that the commentary we're all describing right now is so much more the fullness of of dialogue about the particular consequences of political decision making rather than just poking fun at political figures. Hmm. 
So it has improved, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And what about between the um, the sort of art, the let's say the artisan, uh, John Stewart, or other artisans, but the you know because there was that midpoint that I brought up, um, where it's people who are employed um, rather than people in their basements. <laughs> I'm sorry, there was just something about out of nowhere calling John Stewart an artisan that or, just cracks is, me up. He is like he is. the the comedic artisan. Like I just love John like Stewart. That's well, such a strong word, and you just came like out of nowhere. Out of left field, he was just <laughs> like, okay, "This fine, man is an artisan." Hang on, let me let me make this change. He makes right? good quality <laughs> pizzas. This is, this, well, <laughs> look, this is this is an episode we're not doing that we may have done last semester oh, if wow. we were if we did episodes last semester because i wanted to have a an episode about comedy as an art form of expression and comedy as a political form of expression yeah yeah, yeah. so the reason i'm saying artisan here um i'm using the the definition of artisan as one who produces an art and i'm using an art as something that takes a certain technique or skill to do. I'm not even disagreeing with you. It's yeah. just for some reason it hit me like you you might as well have said something like, so grandmasters like John Stewart, maestros of the craft, as we might say, like Mr. John Stewart, these individuals. But, also, also, well, I'm... And, and, but there's a point to be made with using the word artisan. I didn't just pick it. Maestro and the reason, John Stewart. And the difference is that you have artisans like John Stewart, who is, they're, they're professional comedians, and then you have meme makers, and I don't think there are professional meme makers. I disagree with I that. I disagree with that entirely. And there are people whose jobs there are to make memes. Also, and make have, you good been on, ones. have you been on Reddit recently? Because, like, Gallo Boob... Like, that dude has, like, a million like, karma for people, his memes. People get, get paid. paid. That's my... Uh, yeah. yeah, there are he gets people paid who get legitimately paid show to me, make memes. Show me the lettuce, Chris. He, yo, show you, me the fucking lettuce. What about this fucking well, internet karma lettuce? These fake internet points, popularity points. Bruh. I get he gets paid. paid in Reddit gold. Also, we are due, like, eight drinks because I've been <laughs> fucking derailing the shit out of this exclusively by laughing. Well, That's a drink finisher right that. there. Did you spill on your headphones? Eh, it doesn't matter. I need new ones. So Doug is chilling here, like in in the most full lounging shit that I've seen in a while. He's got like like comfy looking sweatpants, like yeah. pajama style, long socks, sweater. He's got the headphones around his neck, and he's got a beanie on. Yeah, he looks fucking cozy as hell, and I'm and I'm so cozy boy does, and I'm sitting here like I'm sitting here in like going out clothes. I got some I got some fresh jeans. Chris, you want to know the secret? I went out in this. Oh, oh, (laughs) these are my going out clothes. Yeah, these are my always cozy. Never press. I want to communicate to everybody that I'm already this close to going to bed, no matter what. So make whatever (laughs) decisions you're gonna make is what I'm saying. Yeah. So um. Fuck, where were we? We really got derailed. Well, listen, what were you going to say about oh, the, uh, yes, the yes. Grandmaster yes, Maestro like artisan? Grandmaster John. I, I think that the majority of the memes that we wind up seeing on Facebook or Reddit or whatever are memes that sort of, like, someone made as a one-off and then they got, they they became viral. Side note, I have the very a very cynical nature about the internet these days, about how nothing is original and how company, big companies pay for shit, but like yeah, it is what it is. Continue. Yeah, so you have 
So John Stewart's an artisan who's spent you know years honing his craft uh, to make jokes, and then on the other hand, you have jokes that sort of filter up out of because you have you know maybe a um, hundred memes are made and then like five of them go viral. So they're ones that sort of filter up um, organically. I would, so say, have I would organic say organically. Jokes, you have artisan so, jokes. <laughs> wait, wait. I was about to say is. Was John Stewart the or like the organic riser, or he is no. he just an artisan? No, John Stewart's the artisan. Okay, memes are the organic jokes, the free range jokes. Okay, so, so let's talk about this because I know exactly what's going on here and like what what you're saying, and I want to talk about this. So, what you're sa- so the issue before I really think that this is the way to look at this. The issue before crowdsourcing, as you describe it, of me, which I think is the right way to describe it, because what's going on is by popular vote, we are determining what hot takes are good and what, what hot jokes take- are funny. Yeah. Yes. What what things are valuable for you to look at and what things aren't. Now, before there's a quick and easy way for you to accomplish that goal, you have to rely on artisans. You have to. Because once you've discovered that there's one voice that you enjoy their opinions and their takes on things, do you want to go through the effort of scanning through every other possible person who might have a hot take on something on a case-by-case basis in order to determine whether they have something interesting to tell you? Not only is the answer no, I don't want to go through the effort. The answer is there's no amount of effort that would be possible for me to expend in order to accomplish that goal. So that's why you need artisans. You need them because people need to be able to identify a voice that speaks to them and to trust that voice to continue to do so. But in this bright new this brave new world, oh my god. We are able to crowdsource the value of individual opinions, jokes, commentary and hot takes on a case by case basis. Millions of people Millions of possible situations to comment on, and they've all got a shot. And those shots are determined not by whether someone's heard of you before, but the quality of the opinion that you are sharing. That is amazing. We have, we have achieved beyond artisans. We have reached a level of engagement with each other that truly quality commentary will come through the cracks no matter where from. Now so, you say that. Yeah, are you just you like, say on. that? But he's eloquating on like the powers of so of the internet. I'm a true believer. See, like <laughs> I feel like the memes are kind of like the crack cocaine of jokes, in a sense. Like they're not they hit hard. I don't know how crack cocaine works, so I'm. I'm oh, really, Doug? Joke. You're really looking real cozy right now. Looks like you're about to just take a hit. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. So, like. <laughs> Sorry. Hang on. I, need I threw him off. You did. You Hit really your gavel, did. dude. Hit your gavel. Um, because... Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just gonna drink this, and you guys talk, and I'm just gonna. I need to not talk. That's uh, fine. Um. I have a question for the both of you, actually. Well, it's um, going to be me answering for the first yeah. bit. Yeah, for the first bit. It's fine. Um, when you're considering that in our political landscape, comedians are 
almost uh, valued as highly as serious news correspondents. What do you think is, uh, how do you think we ingest the news differently than we did maybe 10 years ago? And how do you think this affects how we process what we get and how we move forward with that information? I think skepticism is probably at an all-time high as to American consumption of news sources. Well, I'm willing to debate that because I think, I don't think people are skeptical of news that they believe in. And you might think that's putting the cart before the horse, but... No, in fact, I'm not even going to fight you. You're right. Yeah, because like people are skeptical... Unless it's news they agree with. And I think that's more of a problem now, or it's definitely more visible of a problem now, because people just outright call any news that they disagree with fake news. You're right. Which is the opposite of skepticism. You're right. Because it's just flat out um, checking. You're right. It's disregarding... Yeah. It's disregarding a holistic view of the news. You're right. You're right. And I guess that is our biggest issue in 2018 is anyway even like I'm a victim of it I sometimes filter out views that are opposite from mine but that could have real value in terms of creating uh different sources of like I don't know push and pull in my mind so I can get a full more well-rounded um view of the issues but it's something that we all do it's just I don't know how we combat that though you know like I mean, I know how I combat it personally, but I'm talking about at a societal scale. We all obviously have to do that individually, but it's very hard to make people want to do that if they don't know that this is what's happening to them. Because I think there's a huge group of people, especially in America, who really don't understand that is a thing. I think that's fair. That's fair to say. And I don't know. It's one of those things where I feel like if we're able to like get from this political thing where we're talking about memes as real drivers of social content and i'm very pleased that the internet has evolved in that way it's just more of a situation where we have to know what's the difference between yes this is a meme this is a joke this is a meme but where where did this come from and why is it important and i don't think we do enough Soul searching? Yeah, a bit. Soul searching, just uh just dissection of like what's behind the joke because like in all comedy, like they say comedy comes from pain. So there has to be a source from that, right? Absolutely. But I think I think that you know there's an opportunity with memes and the the distribution of memes and the way that content I wanna I wanna get on Zach's point because uh I'm responding to his point. No. I want to talk about the comedy comes from pain thing real quick because there's a few theories on where comedy comes from. Is that going to be a subject? Well, because we're talking about what Zach's saying. We need right, to but, but you're going to get into that, right? Yeah. I just want to okay. say one quick thing. Then do your quick thing. My one Sorry. quick thing on is that is that the valuable bit, it seems to me, about the way that memes are distributed is that at least one man's perspective, I consume all, tons of memes all the time. And I can't really tell you that there's any particular meme that like ingrains itself in me and makes me consider something differently because of that one thing, which limits the power of whoever might be distributing that meme. However, the 
overall dialogue that is created by the distribution of so many memes, I think only serves to inform rather than dilute the ability of the viewer to consider the debate in its fullness, no matter the source. Quick, quick response to that. I just have a feeling, and it might be unfounded, might be wholly unfounded, that there's a generation of people that are coming up who aren't able to process things like you and I are able to in terms of like memes, in terms of like how the holistic view of memes, uh, I don't know, help me discern things in daily life. I think there's, there is a group of people, it's like youth, the youth, if you will. God, I Yeah, well, there's, so there's a whole group of people who probably won't be able to remember a time before memes. Exactly. Like memes. Sure. Exactly. A time before memes. Yeah. And that doesn't, Fair. that doesn't, that does not take away from their ability to discern things apart from memes, obviously. There are still smart individuals who... But once something becomes ingrained in your daily consciousness, it becomes more of something that influences you You in terms of thinking. That's the danger. Especially if you really never had any experience or I can't imagine what it's like without such a thing existing. You make a fair point. um, Chris, Zach, and I, while we were trying to get this podcast to work, we were thinking, hey, what did people used to do before TV um, as we were staring at my computer at 100% for like five minutes? 100% features installed, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's what we mean. Yeah, I got all those features. As it was restarting. Man's got features yeah, on so... features, baby. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Doug. Yeah, lots of stuff happened. But um, if we're going to decide, dissect... Uh, dissect memes to understand what makes them funny as a sort of um sociological uh review then i i think it's at least important to touch on the topic of what makes funny funny um and this would be part of that episode i talked i said about comedy as an art form because there's it, it's kind of hard to figure out like what makes a joke funny? And there's there's theories. Zach said, you know, comedy is based on pain, mm-hmm. um, and and I've heard that, and I do agree. Pain plus distance um, mm, yes. equals comedy, sure. uh, or tragedy, tragedy plus tragedy time plus di- equals yeah. comedy. Tragedy plus time or tragedy plus distance. I've never heard it that way. Well, like, because slapstick's funny when it doesn't happen to you, but to be fair, like I've fallen over and laughed at myself for falling over too. So you know, I have to say that. You're much more versed on the theory of comedy than I am, I am sure. Yeah. But my view of comedy has always been that the unexpected and the spontaneously unexpected is the most effective means of achieving comedy. And that the spontaneously unexpected is the function that most memes carry in the way that they deliver comedy. Yeah, and there's no unified like theory of comedy, as in there's, there's plenty of different... Um, factors that can make something funny. I have no doubt. Uh, but I remember looking actually in an encyclopedia um, one time, and this was in 2011. Oh, uh, well, that's all. I looked in an encyclopedia, <laughs> and I looked up comedy, and it, it had its theory of comedy <clears throat> that all comedy is um, hurtful to someone, to some audience, and that's why you get a lot of self-deprecating comedians is because like that's the easy the only safe the only safe target that's that is really the only safe target is yourself 
Um, there is also, I doubt, I don't think either of you have read uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Heinlein. Uh, you'd be wrong, sir. Okay, you've read. I'm a huge Sorry, not Moon is fan. a Harsh Mistress. I'm wrong. Stranger in a Strange Land. Both. Okay, yeah, so in Stranger in a Strange Land... Less familiar, Just to confirm, less, you know, I have both, not, but you know it is what it both is. Both of those books have actually, surprisingly, a theory on comedy. Because in um, yeah, you're Moon right. is a Harsh Mistress, you have a supercomputer that achieves sentience, and it tries to understand humanity, and one of the venues that tries to do that is by understanding humor, and... And figuring out how comedy works. And the way it does that is it just mass produces jokes. And it's kind of like machine learning um, in the 50s because Heinlein was pretty fucking smart about Brilliant. It. Yeah. And Amazing. it mass produces jokes and hands them to um, sort of the main three characters and asks them, you know, which ones of these are funny, which ones aren't. And it goes through a few generations of this and then it figures out comedy. And that's sort of like the the meme, um, organic, free-range jokes. Agreed. Uh, in Stranger in a Strange Land, you have... Is that one Mike, or is the computer Mike? I don't know. You have uh, Mars Jesus. And Mars Jesus... Oh, God. <laughs> I don't remember either. Not the character's name, but that's what he is. Yeah. Uh, Mars Jesus comes to Earth. Um, he's He's a human... He was born of two astronauts um, who went to Mars, but he was orphaned because they had an accident and he was raised by Martians. And he doesn't, so he doesn't understand Earth culture. Um, and also, for some reason, he has like cyber, not cybernetic, um, telekinetic powers. Yeah, that was weird. A, a lot of that book is really fucking strange. Yeah. And he tries to, he also doesn't understand humor. Um, because I guess Heinlein thinks that... Humor is a fundamentally yeah, earth, humor, earthling concept. Humor is a fundamentally human concept. Well, they're all humans yeah. on Mars. And the thing that unlocks um, Mars Jesus's sense of humor is he goes to a zoo. And he sees... He goes to a gorilla exhibit. And he sees um, a big gorilla just beat the shit out of a smaller gorilla. And then that's super fucked up, right? And then that smaller gorilla turns around and beats the shit out of an even smaller gorilla, mm. and he starts laughing. And then the chapter ends. Actually, that section of the book ends, if I recall correctly. I think you're right. Yeah, that was a weird book. <laughs> it was a really fucking strange book. Y'all um, drink. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. So you have um, you have different sort of formulations on comedy, and this was really an aside that doesn't contribute to the gesturisms, but uh, it's something that I wanted to talk about in an episode that's not here. Well, well, no, it's not because you just told us that the topic you wanted to discuss with at least we should talk a little bit about the foundational fundamentals of comedy if we're going to talk about the comedic shield. True. Did you forget that? I forget a lot of things. <laughs> no. All right, Chris, take it away, sir. Yeah. What? But it's not my topic. I don't know what you were going to say about the comedic underpinnings of the comedic shield. Well, I'm okay. So here's my final question, then, because it's getting around that time. Do you think now, because of the stage that we're at, 
in the the stage Shit. the social media stage that we're at that everyone is entitled to the comedic shield when they make a jesterism. That is a everyone? joke. Yes. Everyone. Um because I have a question. We, have we've a... we've gone from a specific jester to the general jester, yeah. Yeah, to I have a question for you. Is there a are we in a situation where people can have cannot have bad intentions from what they say? Well, are we it's more are we in the position now that anyone could post any political meme on their Facebook and they shouldn't be held accountable for the sort of political theory behind that meme? Um, because they could just turn around and say, ah, it's just a joke, bro. Don't you see the uh, the white text with black borders? So, I think that to a point, I'm very 50-50 on this. Just because how people consume memes is so much, I don't know. It's There is a sense of like how it relates to the political context. But in general, how people just ingest memes like, Chris, like how you were saying, like, we're just looking at memes. There's like a literal page of memes and you're just like looking through them and you don't really like key in on anyone. But if one like fancies you, you might just share it and just for, just for jokes. Like just be like, just share it. And it would just be off a whim, off a cuff type thing. Right. I don't think that glowingly says an endorsement, but if that is one thing that makes you laugh harder than the other things, I think it is very... It definitely elucidates something about your, at least, political thinking. So, yes. To a point, yes. But, like, how we consume memes is so much different than an active, like, step forward in terms of political thinking. In my mind, at least. But that's true. Chris? I think that literally nobody in this day and age deserves or has a claim to what we have articulated to be the comedic shield. And the reason I think that way is because we've talked at length about, or rather what's been implicit in our discussion has been the reality that the world has changed since the days of the noble courts and their nobly appointed jesters. In today's day and age, We live in a world where not only is there a great deal of separation of the powers, authority, and sway over the public that different different institutions hold in our society, not just government, but other institutions. For example, it's often said that the media is a kind of fourth estate. Which is funny because the administrative state is also the fourth estate. That's a good and point. And it really should be like, which one's the fifth? Well, wait. is No, we but, say the administrative state sorry. is the fourth branch of government. Yeah, is what but we the, say. the estate also meant branch of government. Well, no, because the estate is... Estates are a reference back to France right before the revolution where the first estate was nobles who paid no taxes. The second estate were uh, the priests who paid no taxes. And the third estate was everybody who doesn't have enough money to have a claim to nobility or be a priest 
and they paid all the taxes. So the three estates referred back to that situation in France. Pardon me for being actually wrong. No, it's fine. On a show where it's mostly about not being right. But but what I mean to say is that we live in a world that I think rightly has really thrived on the notion that power should be separated into all these different places, each of which has power, but you know what? Each of which has responsibility commensurate with the authority and power that they have. So when you take on the power because you are very successful at swaying the minds of your viewers or listeners with the words that you say, I don't think you get to have special treatment because the words you say are inherently satirical or jester-like or critical in a way that is humorous. Everybody needs to live with the responsibility of the words that they have spoken and the things that they have done, whether you're a comedian or not. Okay, I 100% agree with you. I just have one question, just to pose to your point. Are we saying that the more you claim notoriety off of what you say, well, like in terms of being a comedian, like, right, the more that you claim notoriety and claim these sort of like, you're a bigger jester fish in the jester pond, uh, the more you should be held responsible for what you say being taken, the political overtones of what you say. Or should everyone be just equally be held to that same, like, high standard? Everybody is held equally to the standard on a relative basis, but from an absolute basis, it's going to scale with the amount of sway that you have. Okay. Because, fundamentally, you're always going to be expected to be responsible for what you say, so the only distinction is in the volume of what you are able to say. So... I guess my answer to my question, um, because I'm going to be one of those assholes who answers their own question, uh, my answer is that I think that the comedic shield is, as a concept, is starting to disappear. Um, I, I absolutely agree with what Chris has said, but I think that the comedic shield existed because... Um, the the jester was hired by the king in a sense and and the king had the power to execute people um now it's self-filtered like if i if i want to see memes generally um on reddit or on facebook i choose who's on my friends list i choose which uh subreddits to go to so i could choose to have say late stage capitalism memes or i could choose not to have late stage capitalism memes um i think that because of that you start getting fewer and less strong dissenters to a joke um and especially more like your audience becomes more favorable to whatever joke you make uh i've had a parallel thought that being a you know five minute open mic stand up comedian is probably way harder than being say John Mulaney, or being like an established comedian because if you're John Mulaney and you go to Austin 
Uh, Chris and I went to a John Mulaney show, by the way. It was fun. Yeah, if you're John Mulaney and you go to Austin and you advertise, hey, John Mulaney's coming to Austin, the people who buy tickets generally are people who know John Mulaney already, already know that they're going to laugh at his jokes and buy the tickets based on that. So, like, the audience is so primed for him that... It's it's way easier to make that audience laugh than to go up in front of a group of strangers who've never heard you, and they're also all comedians um, who are trying to be funny and super stressed about that and jealous of someone who actually has talent um, or is funny. Like it being able to make your audience or um, even not even making your audience, but having an audience that selects you, sort of is. You you don't you no longer need the comedic shield because they already agree with you, and I th- I think because of that um, I I think that the the concept of the comedic shield to shield you from criticism uh, is is wearing away because there's less criticism because it's easier to ignore someone uh, than to criticize them. Well, let's, let's like just, meaningful criticism. Well, let's talk just real briefly because I think that that is true if your memes essentially come in from Facebook. But in places like Reddit, you really don't get to filter that much the bent of the memes that are that come to you. I mean, you can try to meticulously filter out every single subreddit that might produce something that you don't like. But by and large, if you just go to the front page or r slash all or whatever, you're going to see a great deal of different kinds of things. And the only metric by which those things reach your eyes or not is how many people think that they should. So in those contexts, I think that there's a very effective kind of filtering process that is not dependent upon you, the viewer's personal appreciation of the point but rather how many people think that you should really see this i think also like immediately to attack the point i made um a minute ago like if if i was really correct uh you wouldn't see so many like arguments in a youtube comment section or well online in general because like criticism definitely exists the problem with youtube is that i'm I can't articulate it right now, but I'm certain that there are so many ways in which you get, like, railroaded into places you don't want to be on YouTube. Otherwise, it couldn't be Elsa possible. Gate. I'm sorry? Elsa Gate. Do you listen, not know about Elsa Listen, Gate? no, I know about all these. Okay. Uh, we, We're not going to describe We Elsa can't Gate. even let's, get into it. Yeah. But essentially, people are looking to find places that they don't want to be on YouTube, yeah, which like, is the opposite of Facebook. Yeah, well, it's not entirely the opposite of Facebook. Some people, their internet lives are all about um, going around and making conflict. So, like, that, that it basically means that they go around and they criticize. So, like, it's... I don't know, maybe still the comedic shield doesn't exist because those people are going to criticize anyways. Well, yes. So, because the comedic shield's like, oh, you shouldn't criticize... If you're a good person, you shouldn't criticize this person because it's all in good fun. Right. Um, and they know what they're doing and yada yada. But, like, they... You know, if you're an internet troll, you're not... You're obviously someone that that sensibility doesn't apply to. So... <laughs> 
True. True, true. Yeah, so, um, you know, maybe, maybe I'm still right. Or maybe I'm right about not being right. I can't really You're track wrong your about not being right. I, I'm I can't, probably wrong about both. I can't track where you are right now because I feel like you've shifted your position a little bit. Man, man, man has Brother, waffles. <laughs> no, see, the trick is if you never have a position, you're never wrong. I fair, fair. All right, this feels like a good time for final thoughts. I think you're right. Zach, oh, I'm starting. Well, wow. um, Zach, did like. Can you tell me if we ever really got to, like, your big thing that you were sitting over there working on? Uh, no, but I like where we went. So. But I want it, like... Yeah, this is your final thought. As a final... Like, I want to know what you were sitting over there piecing together. It was... It was very tenuously, and I kind of stopped putting it together a bit after when we got into a more conversation that I could more elucidate my thoughts on. That's fine. How We're, about you can give this little uh, explanation and then give a final thought. Yeah. I want right. to hear, I want to hear both. Um, so my main point was more just like the practical applications of what we were talking about earlier. And it was more just on how, and we kind of got into it in terms of how people ingest memes differently due to different age groups and things like that. But it was more just like, practically, what is our world? What is a world that where memes are a central piece of gaining information? Like, what does that world look like? And it's really centered around, is that world different than what we perceive the world to be right now? Mm. And I think it is. I think it, I think it 100% changes... The the internet evolving has changed how different gen. Well, I don't even know if we can be counted as a separate generation from the people I'm talking about, but it's it changes how we interact with the internet and the world at large, and I think that really influences if we're talking about memes being a form of gesturing. It really changes what the where the shield is how strong the shield is and what the shield is. It's just like, it's, it just influences so much. So that was really the center of what I was trying to think of. And we did touch on it. So I was very happy that we at least touched on it a little bit, but yeah, that was really what I was going to say. And um, yeah, for my final thoughts, um, this is probably going to be the last time I'm on here. So I just want to say thank you guys for having me on three times. Oh that was man, pretty, it would make me great. it would make me so hat sad. Trick Zach. Yeah, hat trick Zach. I I've enjoyed this a lot. I I really have, and you know what? I really would love to see you guys continue this if you're able to after graduation. Obviously, that's pretty much impossible. But like, hey, if it happens, I'd love for to see it happen. Zach, uh, I'd be sad if this was the last time you're on the show, man. Yeah, man. But uh, you it's know, been so good. It's been it's been a lot of fun, but um, I really want to thank you, Doug, for this topic because it's really important in terms of just like how people interact with the news and world at large. Because you know, as much as we hate to say it, the world we're in is a very reactionary, very first hot take world. It's our like it or not, our president reacts to the information that he's given. And almost immediately, he's a hot take president. And in a hot take society, maybe that's the president we deserve. That's a story for another time. Whatever. 
Avery's. Oh. But um look, like if y'all um but if we really have a real solid talk about how these memes and how these uh and how comedy really interacts and affects our dissection and our uh dissemination of that news we could really go far in terms of learning what affects comedy and what affects uh it has on our world at large and how we just process things so it's really important and yeah thank you guys for having me on again it's been a real pleasure for sure and and you've made a beautiful point about in this hot take world we live in maybe this is the president we deserve so here's what i started thinking way back when i started saying that i had gotten to my final point already and it boils down to anachronistic thinking anachronistic thinking that is employed by john stewart amongst others when he claims that because he is a clown You shouldn't judge him for what he says. You know, we live in a world, an age, and a mentality that really says that human beings have a set of fundamental rights. These fundamental rights are not only spelled out in our own constitution, but are in fact enforced by the UN and largely followed by most, let's say, well-developed countries around the world. And these rights generally include the notion that you're allowed to say what you think, even if the people who are in government don't agree with that. We have to recall when we talk about that idyllic era of the jester who's supported by the king and is in the court and is right there criticizing everybody, that if that jester had been a peasant, not employed by the king, he could have easily been strung up by his own guts for the words that came out of his mouth in the court. And at the time, if anybody would have raised complaint against the person who is the jester for everything that they said against these lofty figures of political import, the first retort would have been, no, no, you can't do to him what you would do to a regular man. He's mine. He's been hired by my court, he's paid by me, and he is here at my behest and on my permission. And what he says, I endorse. But the world has changed, and it's no longer necessary for you to protect yourself against vicious persecution to simply say, but I'm a clown. That's what I do by trade. Don't do to me what you would do to a regular person who would say such things. But we live in an era, God damn it, we live in an era where every person can say such things. They can scream them from the mountaintops. They can post them on Reddit or Facebook or whatever kind of social media you can think of. And they can receive credit for the words that they have said. It is no longer necessary for any such person to claim the shield of the comedian. And therefore, it is no longer acceptable for any of, them, any of them to claim the privilege of the comedic shield. We live in an era where the words you say hold power and hold immunity like we've never seen before in human history, no matter who you are. So they should hold 
responsibility too. Very well put. Yeah, I'm not going to top that. Uh, you want to sign us out, Chris? Yes, I would be. I would be honored to. It has been a very wonderful third time with Hat Trick Zach over there. As I've said yes, already, sir. it would be genuinely upsetting to me if we never got to talk to him again on the show. But we know that in our own private lives, we will have the special privilege of being able to interact with him in a way that you, the audience, will not necessarily. So all I can really say is I'm very sorry that you do not have the privilege and the pleasure of being an acquaintance and a friend of Zach. I'm on. And we thank, thank you, you very much for listening in to another episode, the first episode of Season 3. We hope to bring you a lot more great content soon with all of our bucket list subjects that we never talked about before. We hope you have a great night, and thanks for listening.